I need oh. a brown paper bag. Is there a brown paper bag anywhere? Hello and welcome to the Go For Two podcast, a podcast for frustrated football fans by two frustrated football fans. I'm Jenna Lika here with Brad Klein. And Brad, Thursday's going to be a big day for the NFL, you know? Schedules are going to be released and it will provide some kind of vision as how we're supposed to go on with sports post, you know, global pandemic and all. What, what, do you, what are you thinking? Are you excited or are you just kind of a little indifferent and you don't think it's that important? Is this supposed to be a big deal? It's just a schedule release. I, I know that on Sunday during the season, I'll be watching football if the season actually happens. I don't need to know who I'm going to be watching against in week nine. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It just shows me when and who the Jets will lose to at that specific point. So I'm indifferent. Uh, I just know that somehow, some way, whether it's in sadness or in happiness, a Bills fan will end up through a table. But you don't think this is just important to know when we will be watching football in terms of just like, oh, let's just think in terms of this podcast. I mean, we love the summer months where nothing's happening, but we're ready for football season. Hey, we got a show to do. I'm, I'm ready. I'm itching. I'm hoping this thing starts when it's supposed to start. Isn't that right. a little bit important? So I just want to say for the people listening at home, we're Zoom calling right now. I could see Jenna. And, and that was hard for you to actually muster those those words out of your mouth like oh we love it we love these summer the summer months when nothing's happening but we want football we want football now <laughs> i find it important will i be tuning in it depends what time it starts i have i have a, a prior engagement at 8 30 that night but it will be on this i will be on the side and i will be paying attention because i'm excited and you know just knowing sports television you know it's gonna be an ordeal and it's gonna be all dramatic even though we'll have, pro- I, I don't even know. I can see all the potential things to try to make this too much just because we're bored and we want sports. Could it be like the selection show on CBS for March Madness? I mean, it hurts for me to even bring that up and, and think about how we didn't have a March Madness, but it's like, okay, in week nine, the Vikings play the Packers. What a surprise. Let's let's uh, let's go back into everyone's homes once again. Here's the head coach of the Packers. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Matt LaFleur. Yeah, okay, sure, yeah, I mean, cool. We're going to be playing them again, I'm guessing, yeah? Yeah. Oh, we are playing, we're playing the Vikings twice? Who knew? Well, we're going to start talking about your team a little bit. Obviously, we don't know when the season's going to start, but they they made a move earlier today. Frank Gore, they signed him to a one-year deal. What does this mean for your team, a team that obviously has a consistent running back but could use some of that veteran presence? Well, Jenna, Frank Gore to the Jets is only going to benefit the Jets if the schedule works in their favor. That's going to be important come Thursday. You know, <laughs> we, need a good, we need a good draw. No, I love this move, and it's great to talk about the Jets outside of the fan frustration segment. Signing him uh, is a player now move rather than a player then move. We're signing him for the player he is, not for the player he was. And he was a great player. 1,000-yard rusher every year seemed to be. Uh, third all-time in rushing yards in his career, 16-year career, by the way. But this is a great locker room move. We drafted LaMichael P. Ryan from Florida in the fourth round, a running back. And he seems to have a lot of potential, a lot of upside, but he's raw. And to have a guy like Frank Gore in front of him, for him to study and learn from, I love it. And Gore's also going to take pressure off of Le'Veon Bell. We love a good locker room move. And this guy obviously turns 37 this month. It's his 16th, 16th season. But he's also 
third all time in rushing, which yeah. is which is crazy. He's one of the best, and you have someone like that that Lamichael P. Ryan can look up to in terms of getting to know how to be a successful running back in this league. And I think, yeah, that's one of the most important things. Locker room is more important than than a lot of other things when it comes to football, in my opinion. And remember, I, he averaged a career low in yards per carry last season, a career low in yards total last season. And yet I still love this move because it's not about who he is. Remember, we have Le'Veon Bell. Bell is capable of being a Pro Bowl rusher we don't need Frank Gore to be an elite running back. We need him to manage the locker room. It's a young team. By the way, this is only going to help Sam Darnold. I love the move. I think it's great. Now we're going to switch over to talk about Don Shula. He died yesterday at age 90. Brad, what was the coach's impact on the league through his historic career? Well, he re- reset the standard of what coaching is, not just in football, but in sports. And that's the kind of guy that you read books about when you start coaching your little league team in, in your local town. And that's something that I personally can attest to. I thought, okay, I, I'm, I was coaching little league years ago with a few friends of mine in high school. And, you know, not that we were trying to be Belichick, Shula, Lombardi, but I thought, okay, how do you manage a team? You know, and this is not – obviously, Don Chula had a tougher task, but how do you be a leader? How do you lead by example when you're not even playing? Don Chula played, moved on to coaching, and he was more successful as a coach than he was a player. Six Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl victories, the winningest coach in NFL history. He's already in Canton. You know, he's, he was at the helm of the perfect 17-0 and nineteen seventy two Dolphins team, by the way. Shout out Syracuse. Larry Zonka led the team in rushing that year. But he's the guy the kind of guy that if there's a successful coach out there, people say, Yeah, but he's not Shula. And that's the legacy. As as a, a uh, South Florida resident, he has had an indelible impact on football in South Florida. And he did so much for the city of Miami in terms of just making them a a reputable team to root for, which obviously they brought, he brought them the Super Bowls. And you could just see, I have people, friends, family, acquaintances who are, who are Miami Dolphins fans. And yesterday, all through social media, you just saw how much love they had for the coach, no matter how old or young they were, if they saw him in his prime coaching days, or if they're just Dolphins fans who know the history of the franchise, which is phenomenal. By the way, when Don is in the news, two questions come up, and I'm just going to rapid-fire throw them at you, okay? First, are the 72 Dolphins the best team in NFL history? I'm going to say no. Okay. Could be the 85 Bears. There's, there's no right answer, by the way, and there's also no shame in being second here. He could be second in this next question. Is Don Shula the best coach of all time? It's either him or Belichick, maybe Lombardi. Well, as, as everyone's saying, uh, maybe this year is Bill Belichick's prove-it year in terms of proving he's the best coach. Brad, what do you think? I think it's Belichick. But, again, there's no, no shame in being second or third on that list. Don Shula is certainly one of the greats. Now we're going to talk about Antonio Brown and the pictures that had surfaced – or surfaced huh, – he posted on social media, that's all the man does, of him in a Ravens jersey. What does this mean, Brad? Are we going to see him in a Ravens jersey this season? 
Yeah, if he gets bored and, and wants to Photoshop himself in another Ravens jersey, you'll see him again. Yeah, I mean, no, it just means that he got bored during the quarantine and decided, oh, let me whip something up on Photoshop. By the way, it looked fantastic. He did a great job with that editing software. No, uh, it means nothing for Antonio Brown and the Ravens pretty much because the Ravens don't need him. They were first in the league in passing 345 yards per game. That's more than 50 yards from the next best team. And the Ravens were at the mountaintop last season. They almost won the Super Bowl. They almost got to and won the Super Bowl. Everyone thought that they would. They have the MVP. They don't need the added catalyst in Antonio Brown to mess up that mojo in the locker room. Antonio Brown's an unneeded piece. And again, they led the league in passing yards per game, 345. Guess who their leading receiver was last year? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. First, first, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Hollywood Brown. I mean, a receiver, I, I would have to assume. It's a tight end. It's Mark Andrews with just over 850. The point is that the Ravens were able to lead the league in passing without a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. That's why they don't need Antonio Brown, and they certainly don't need the, the off-field shenanigans. Raiders fan, Jenna, go. Well, first off, in terms of that uh, Ravens question, tight end makes sense. I just remember seeing that guy all over the field. I don't know. Maybe I was just thinking a little too hard about the question. I mean, Wait, I come hold from – Hold on. Uh, to be completely fair, he's not Gronk. He's not O.J. Howard. I didn't think it was Mark Andrews, I, uh, to be completely honest with you. Now – when you think Ravens offense, you think Lamar Jackson making plays with his feet. I was surprised that they led the, led the league in passing last year. Uh, that was the biggest surprise to me. That, I, I was also shocked by that fact, too. And I should be, as a Raiders fan, kind of familiar with the leading receiver tight end. I mean, we do, we do, we did it last year with Dan, Darren Waller. So, but to get, to get on to last, we'll talk about last season and the Raiders and Antonio Brown. The biggest mishap of the offseason, you can – the hard knock stuff didn't even begin to show the agony that Raiders fan had to go, fans had to go through. Honestly, when they first signed him, I wasn't crazy about the move. I was like, what? oh, but he's not going to – oh, okay. Like, fine, sure, like, whatever. I'm not crazy about this move. I was like, but, you know, he's a great wide receiver. Let's see what this guy can do. Oh, all he can do is create drama. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what's going on mentally with this guy. I, he's done something like this, or he's had speculations to be with teams. Who's going to sign this guy? I don't know. Again, I feel like the, foot, the thing is football's a business, and the whole fact that he can play football is going to trump whatever other thing, other problems that he had that he might be toxic for a locker room, which I think – locker room toxicity is not a positive thing but no because he plays football and he can catch a ball which good on him he does it very well I just don't think he's good for any team and I saw that firsthand he was poisoned but we overcame, we overcame. he catches footballs better than he uses photoshop it's actually pretty incredible I have a question for you by the way okay. biggest Raiders agony in the past few years Khalil Mack or Antonio Brown Brad, you did this because you know I would have a very strong opinion. And it gets me very upset when we talk about <laughs> Khalil Mack. I get very upset. I get I very upset. I bring it up often. I bring it up often. Ah, goodness. So it's no question for me. It's Khalil Mack. Just the fact they did 
one of the faces of their franchise dirty. <laughs> they, he didn't even meet John Gruden. He've ne- he's never met the man face to face before. So, Alright, I'm I'm sorry to do that. I know your your blood pressure is rising. It makes me angry, and I told it. I tell us my dad, who he's the one who got me to be a Raiders fan. I go, a little piece of my heart is now with the Chicago Bears. A little yeah. piece is with the Chicago. I will like if if it's on. It obviously Raiders first first the Bears. I'm gonna go with the Raiders. But not gonna lie, when they played this season, I was like, I'm. I wanted Khalil Mack to have a monster game. He didn't, and we won, so I was happy. But I was like. A little piece of myself is a Chicago Bears fan after the ah, – ah, gets me so angry. Yeah, I don't care about Antonio Brown. He could be anywhere, and a piece of my heart will not go with that team. <laughs> That's fair. No, no sentimental connection there. But it was supposed to be a big part of your offense, and, well, he wasn't. So He wasn't, and we'll, 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 talk, <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about the offense of the Raiders and fan frustration. I have th- some things to say. But for now, we'll continue talking about – my other favorite team, the Chicago Bears. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Mitchell Trubisky. He didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. We're going to compare this to another player who also did not get his fifth-year option picked up, which is Leonard Fournette. What are you thinking the differences between these two guys and the situations that they have found themselves in? Well, the difference is that Trubisky's the quarterback. He's supposed to be the face of the franchise, and the team says you're not worth the guaranteed $24 million that you would be due in 2021 had we picked up this option. So this is, and by the way, just to be completely clear, in football, when a team declines an option for a player, uh, he's still on the team for this coming season. However, 2021 is the season that's in limbo. So Frenette and Trubisky are still going to be on the team in 2021. These are make-it-or-break-it years for both of these teams in 2020. And by the way, for Trubisky, it's not enough that, that the team is bringing in someone, Nick Foles, to take his job. But they're also saying on top of him going to be taking your job potentially, we're also going to give you zero job security. You can walk after if and when he takes your job. And that to me speaks volumes. By the way, Jenna, because you know I love my history. I love my stats. Trubisky does not, joins a, a, a poor list in first-round quarterbacks that have had their fifth-year option decline. I'm going to read this list. Let's hear it. Yep, let's hear it. Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Brandon Whedon, E.J. Manuel, Johnny Manziel, Paxton Lynch, and Teddy Bridgewater, who only had that fifth-year option declined because of his bad injury. Trubisky is on the decline, by the way. He's not trending upwards right now. And this is an opportunity. This is the pivotal point in his career where he has to prove himself as a quarterback worth gambling on for $24 million. Agreed. That's, that was, you took the words right out of my mouth. This is the biggest prove it year for Trubisky. He needs to prove that he's worth the money that he probably wants to get paid as the starting quarterback of the Bears. And he's going to have to compete for playing time, which competition is one of the best ways to get the best out of your players. So that might do wonders for him. And we see him on the Bears next season. But I think the main difference between the two, the two lack of fifth-year options is that there's been no rumors around Trubisky getting traded anywhere. It's very much he's staying in-house and he's going to compete. Fournette is kind of the opposite. They've been trying to trade him wherever people will have him. He's been, he hasn't been traded yet, but that is still not out of the, the realm of possibility. And I just think the stability is just not there for Fournette as a 
Jacksonville Jaguar. Both of these players underwhelming in the same draft, both expected to be faces of their franchise. Fournette was actually supposed to be the last piece of the puzzle, and Trubisky was supposed to be the first. Never materialized for either one of these players, and a, a pivotal point in both of their careers. We're going to move to Andy Dalton. He got signed by the Cowboys, and what do you think this mean, means for the Cowboys, Andy Dalton, and everything in between? It's, it's interesting for Andy Dalton because he's going home. He's from Texas, grew up a Cowboys fan. I don't like this move for Andy Dalton. I think that it basically means that his career as a starter is over unless there's an injury. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't make much sense for me. He had the opportunity. My mind immediately goes to Jacksonville to start. And instead, he signs a one-year deal with the Cowboys to back up Dak Prescott. Doesn't make any sense to me because Dak is in the prime of his career. He's 26 years young, and the Cowboys, I would assume, are going to sign him at some point. I mean, gosh, what is Jerry Jones waiting for? Andy, Andy Dalton got money before uh, Dak did, so that's okay, something. So <laughs> the Cowboys have paid a 10th-year quarterback with fewer playoff wins than Dak and Andy Dalton. They've also paid a man with three DUIs who hasn't played in the NFL since 2015, Alden Smith before they paid their franchise quarterback. Priorities. Thank you, Jerry Jones. He also has a yacht. I don't know if anyone knew that. It's a cool yacht. Um, but, no, Dak Prescott, big slap in the face for him. I don't understand it for Dalton because he's not going to replace Dak. You know, I think a lot of people thought, oh, this is like the Teddy Bridgewater, now Jameis Winston model, where a starting caliber quarterback doesn't have anywhere to start. He goes to back up a good quarterback, and now after one season, he's good to go. The problem is, what is Andy Dalton going to learn from Dak Prescott? Yeah. Dak might be the better quarterback, but he's not the smarter quarterback. Dalton will not improve as a backup. Jameis Winston will behind Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. Dalton will not grow, and for that reason, I hate this move for him. I'm also not a fan because for the same reason that, that you said, this basically solidifies him as a backup. It doesn't I, – I don't I, – don't know why he didn't go to a team where he could be the starter. I have the same I have the same exact opinion as you do. I don't like the move, but I mean, for some people, the fact that he he's going to be playing at home is going to be important to him. He he's probably I mean he he signed he signed his contract, so he must be okay with with where he's at in his career. He realizes that it's ticking down, and you know what? He'll be a reliable a reliable um, backup if needed, just like you said. I have no nuanced opinions in this part of our show because it's so it's such a no-brainer, like, the thoughts. There's there's no other way to deviate from this makes no sense because now he's solidified himself in the back of the world. I will say this, though. His options were extremely limited. The only team I can think of that would have had an interest in Andy Dalton is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Every other team either has a young quarterback that they're developing or has a veteran quarterback that they're not willing to give up. So it doesn't make much sense, but at the same time, didn't have many options. Uh, with that, Andy Dalton off the board. The question for Jacksonville is, what are they going to do at quarterback? We're previewing the quarterback situation heading into this year. And for Jacksonville, they have Gardner Minshew. I think the consensus is that he's not going to lead Jacksonville to the Super Bowl. Who will? Jenna, what do you think Jacksonville is doing at the most important position in sports? 
Well, I kind of disagree. I think you stick with Gardner, Gardner Minshew. Um, I don't think that – give him a full year. He didn't have a full year last year. This guy has kind of already made himself with his with his own personal branding the face of your franchise. When I think Jacksonville, I think Gardner Minshew and all, how he kind of like embodies what what some what most people would think when they think Florida, that's the guy they think of. <laughs> that is what they think of. And he might not be the person to take them to the Super Bowl, but I don't think that's necessarily on him. I think there's a lot other a lot other factors that need to be put into that to maybe give him an opportunity to do that their this team is just is not built to have a younger quarterback lead them but I think that it's unfair that you're just going to sell him out of the the quarterback conversation I think he's going to be he's going to be their starting quarterback and I think he has a lot of upside and I think he will benefit from having the full year of him being the starting quarterback that's what he is right now He's first in the depth chart. So that's that's my opinion. I, I disagree with the statement that you said earlier that they are the only t- – that they're the team that needed a quarterback probably the most because I don't agree, and I think that's probably what the the front office believed too, and that's why Andy Dalton is not a Jacksonville Jaguar. That's fair. Andy Dalton might not be the Super Bowl-caliber quarterback that Jacksonville needs. Gardner Minshew, you're right. It's probably not fair of me, but this is a guy coming from Washington State didn't have much upside coming out of college. At least that was the thought. Sixth round pick. And he's cute. That would be the best way for me to describe him. It's cute. Yeah, he played 14 games, started 12 last season. And his touchdown to interception ratio is fantastic. 21 to 6 for a guy that wasn't even supposed to make the team, let alone start 12 games last year. But that was, that was year one. And teams now have film on Gardner Minshew. He was exposed. I don't see much upside there. He was sacked 33 times in 12 starts. I think Gardner Minshew will never be the long-term answer. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars will start Minshew in an effort to get another quarterback. And you think tank for Tua. Now it's tank for Trevor. Trevor Lawrence is going to be available after this season if there even is a college football season. So why not go get the best quarterback prospect known to man in the history of man because that's what Trevor Lawrence has been advertised as since his freshman year. This guy has so much upside and as a Syracuse fan, he haunts my memories. If you're going to, I don't think Jacksonville's going to do that. I don't know. There's been a lot of speculation on who's going to tank for Trevor. I saw something the other day. It was like, well, it's probably some, some stupid account or something. I don't know where I saw it, but it was like the Patriots might be tanking for Trevor. (laughs) And, but, but you can laugh all you want, but think about that for a second. That's a scary be, it thought. It would be crazy, but Bill Belichick is not tanking at this stage of his career. I also think that Jared Stidham's a pretty good quarterback. I think people are sleeping on him, and playing behind Tom Brady will actually have helped him, believe it or not. I think he's going to be solid. I'm afraid to face him for the first time as a Jets fan. No film on him. Just He's more dangerous than Gardner Minshew, in my opinion. But look, Jacksonville, who knows what they're going to do. They might trade in Gakwe. They might let Leonard Fournette go. And if that's the case, then Gardner Minshew is really the best player, the most skilled and most known player on that offense. Then I think they're tanking for Trevor. Who else? The Lions? Maybe the Lions will tank for Trevor. You know how I feel about Detroit. Someone's (laughs) going to get him, and someone's going to be a lot better for it. I think it it could be Jacksonville. That would be my my guess because at this point in – 
the offseason, I'm pretty sure that the Jags have the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. We're forgetting – where's Cam Newton going to go? Yeah. Jacksonville a, a possibility? I saw I saw that that might be a possibility for them if, if need be. But I just don't know where, where he fits in the NFL anywhere, which isn't great. I mean that, – That's fair. I, I get it. And he's had injury problems. The thing when you, you connect Cam Newton to Jacksonville, the only problem is if they weren't interested in Andy Dalton, why would they be interested in Cam Newton? Because – the, both of those in, in in that role with Jacksonville, they both on paper seem to be bridge quarterbacks. And Jacksonville doesn't want a bridge quarterback. They tried that model with Nick Foles in that let's get a mediocre, serviceable game manager quarterback that can that won't be the reason we lose. And mm-hmm. let's hope that the defense is really good. By the way, it's depleted now. And the running back will finally break out. Leonard Fournette, fifth year option, not picked up. So that model doesn't really fit anymore. I don't think that Andy Dalton was the answer for Jacksonville. I was surprised that he didn't go because it seemed to make sense for him. But for Mm -hmm. the Jags, I understand it. Going forward, he's not the long-term answer. Then again, neither is Minshew. And talk about the long-term answer for a lot of teams. You think Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, the the top three quarterbacks in the NFL draft this past season – The question is, which rookie quarterback will have the most successful season? Jenna, go ahead. I'm saying Justin Herbert, just based on the pieces he has around him. Um, Obviously, the jury's still out in terms of whether, how soon he's going to start. I think it's sooner than the Chargers front office or end coaches are telling us. I don't think Tyrod Taylor is the answer, and I think Justin Herbert is going to show that he – has earned the starting position in training camp. If that happens, when that happens, where that happens. Um, he has Austin Eckler to help take some of that, that pressure off. He has Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, his main two receivers to throw to, and Hunter Henry as his tight end. He has many options, a lot of weapons, and I think that will ease him into a better rookie season than, say, Joe Burrow, who he's coming off of having his entire offense – who was eligible for the draft, get either drafted or signed as a, as a free agent. And Cincinnati is not that. And he doesn't have – he actually – I looked at it. I thought it was probably worse than – it was better than I imagined what his receiver situation looks like. It's mm. not bad. But let's remember the Bengals were still 2-14 and 14 last season. And I don't think that switches right away. And I think – that in the long run, whose career will be better? Probably Joe Burrows. But I think in the rookie season, just with the pieces that Justin Herbert has around him and his ability that to probably develop quicker, I think I think it's, it's Justin Herbert because Burrows is going to get thrown in there and best of luck to him. Yeah, and you had to pick Justin Herbert, right? You were very high on him in your mock draft. Uh, more than Tua Tagovailoa, of course. Tua were – more or less unofficially eliminating him from this question here because we think that he might redshirt the season after the hip. I think it's Joe Burrow. And it's interesting that you say that Herbert will be more successful in his rookie season than Burrow because of weapons. Burrow, you alluded to it, has phenomenal weapons. That's not the issue here. Joe Mixon ran for 1,100 yards last year for Cincinnati. Essentially, the Bengals have 2,000-yard receivers. Tyler Boyd for over 1,000 last year. And John Ross only played eight games. He caught for over 500. He was on pace for 1,000. 
I think, yeah, of course, this is not the same caliber offense on the scale of, of college that Joe Burrow had at LSU. Nothing is. I'm pretty sure that's the best college football team ever, and I'm almost positive that that's the best college football offense ever. That being said, you know, the whole the Bengals earned the first pick overall. They were 2-14. and 14. A lot of that had to do with the defense. The Bengals might be rejuvenated young coach, young quarterback. And the only concern I have with Joe Burrow is his knack for losing. He was Mr. Football in high school. He went to Ohio State, obviously didn't succeed himself individually, but the team won. He went to LSU, succeeded individually, and the team was the best ever in his senior year. Now he's going to a team, even if he succeeds, even if he balls out, team's not going to be good. Let's just be clear. Cincinnati's not going to be good. Let's not dress this up in any way. The Bengals will be bad. The Bengals will likely not make the playoffs. And the biggest concern I have besides Burroughs' knack for losing is the division because he plays in a very deep division. The Browns, the Ravens, the Steelers. I'm concerned about the competition. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, the draft, one of the things that it does is get you excited to see all these rookies either prove people wrong because everyone has their thoughts on the draft or, you know, prove people right or all the things in between. And I think that it gets – I'm pumped for football season. I'm pumped to see both of these quarterbacks. I mean, I'll see Justin Herbert at least on the sideline. I'll see him visually at least two yeah. times two times this season. So I'm excited, and it's, it got me hyped for football season, and we'll see. That's the thing. That's why it's Burrow, because Herbert is almost too much of a risk. You don't know how many games he's going to start. He might, it might be eight. It might be fewer. It might be a little bit more. I think Tyrod Taylor is ready to start week one through four. I'm a little concerned that Justin Herbert might not start enough to be considered more successful than Joe Burrow. But moving on, it's, it's one of my favorite segments. It's what was trending. And Jenna, you have an interesting one. Yeah, what was trending was Alex Smith or whatever variety of the documentary that came out, Product 11, um, on ESPN. And this is just a great story about seeing the behind the scenes of a player who was injured and then coming back. And I, I watched an interview that that he um, did prior to the release of the documentary. And he was just saying, like, this has never been done where we've seen, like, a player's coming back from the very start in terms of all he had to go through as well. Like, having them both coupled has never really happened. And he knew early on, a couple of weeks into the process, that he would be making the documentary. And it's crazy that he had 17 surgeries, a bacteria that was messing with his leg. His leg was basically broken from his ankle. Messing his with knee. his leg. Hold on, hold on. Jen, it was eating away. Eating his away leg. at his Did leg. Did you see the images? Yes. Oh, my God. The, I have seen the images. And I, I just thought it was cool. Like, at the end of the day, we don't know, and nobody knows. He doesn't know if football, being back to football is, you know, gonna gonna happen for him but just the little victories that he's had and that you know he's able to walk and jump and run is crazy so I just thought it was a really cool story obviously this is now the age of ESPN documentaries <laughs> getting released and this one was was a good one that really I mean for me I know I forgot about Alex Smith to be honest 
he hasn't been in the he hasn't played in almost two years. So you just kind of forget, you know, you have Dwayne Haskins, you have all this other stuff happening with the Redskins. And I don't know about you, but the Redskins aren't the most intriguing team, in my opinion. So I just kind of forgot about Alex Smith, but it was cool to be reminded that these people, even once they're injured, they still have stories and they still have lives and it's still important, even if football isn't obviously football is the goal, but football might not be if football doesn't happen, they've already had so many other smaller victories. So I just thought it was a really cool thing to share a story that maybe we didn't I wouldn't say we didn't want to hear, but we weren't expecting to hear. No one was, you know, you know, really like, hey, we really need an Alex Smith documentary. But I think it's something that we all appreciate and we we're all happy that happened. Yeah, it was a very well done documentary. I was looking forward to it when I heard they were doing Project Eleven. Uh, it's a great story. Great story. And we you're right, we don't acknowledge athletes and their battle after they're carted off and they give the thumbs up to the crowd. That's it. That's all we hear about them. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, whether it's a torn ACL or a broken leg, maybe they resurface. Maybe they come to the stadium and they wave their hand and the crowd goes nuts. But Alex Smith has endured so much. And it, it just makes me sensitive to the the next level of football that, that we're not exposed to after the broadcast. So it's a great story. Great story. Am I what was trending? Unfortunately, the NFL is doing away with the international games this year due to COVID-19. That means two games from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, two games from Wembley, the four in London are no more, the two in Mexico City as well. I'm pretty sure the players are relieved. Nobody, no, none of the players actually liked going abroad to play games. The schedule was ridiculous. The, the fields were not maintained well. But personally, I, I'm kind of upset about this not even because of Tottenham Hotspur, not because of Mexico City, but it's because of Wembley, because I'm the biggest Queen fan alive, and, and Queen is so is so famous for their Live Aid concert at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm just excited. I, I was excited for the broadcast and then the flashback to the different moments at Wembley. You get the AO from Freddie Mercury. We're not going to have that this year. So that's my what was trending. This is something that I think directly, again, Raiders fan. I mean, I think we've said that at least three to four times on this podcast already. But we we obviously play, the Raiders play overseas or Mexico City at least once or twice a season. So that's why, again, Thursday, it's important. Because now we're going to see what the new schedule looks like. What are we doing now? And I, I, will, I will say this. You're right there. You're right. I don't want the Jets to go play abroad. No one does. So that's the only thing I really care about with this schedule release. Other than that, the Jets are probably going to play the Bills twice, and they might play other teams too. That would be my, my guess. Usually how it goes. For <laughs> definitely how it goes. I mean, I'm no scheduling expert. I'm not on the scheduling committee. But I do – I am aware that I think you play – Everyone in your division at least twice. Yeah. Now it's time for my favorite segment. It's fan frustration. And this is where, you know, we have the leash just in case we go insane. But it's time for us to explain what the Raiders and the Jets did this week. There was no draft. There was no game for them to mess up. And yet they still managed to mess something up. Well, mine this week is is Derek Carr. That's like the overarching I spoke about it, was it, it was like two weeks ago when we did our pre-draft show, 
just about how we better pick a receiver because I don't want to hear any quarterback talk. And I, have a, I, I got a little bit of my Derek Carr frustration out there. But this is going to be a segment dedicated to getting frustrated about all the talk I hear about the Raiders need to replace Derek Carr. They need to replace him. They haven't replaced him in the past two drafts. Granted, you might not have wanted to in the draft prior, but this draft was supposed to be the quarterback draft. And um, we, we still didn't – we didn't draft one. We didn't draft – you see, we didn't draft one. So we, we, don't, we don't need one. So this is just frustrating to me because I just think it's the lack of respect that Derek Carr gets. And the lack of respect he, he's – you know, all the slack he's gotten in, since 2016 after he had the great season and then got injured. And some of it may have been warranted. There's times where I've been frustrated with him as my starting quarterback because he's done things where I'm like, what on earth are you doing? But I don't think he has done anything that has made him a bad quarterback. He's not a bad quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback, but I think he's good. And I don't think that this constant speculation of, oh, Baker Mayfield, great fit, an analyst said, a great fit for the Raiders. We don't need that. And no, there's been nothing that has come out of – the front office, Mayock, or Gruden that has shown that they want to move on from Derek Carr. I mean, they didn't. They haven't drafted anybody, not even in the later rounds. They haven't drafted anybody to take over. The only thing that they've done is they've added Marcus Mariota, and I think that's honestly just hey, what. Don't don't use Nathan Peters Peterman's name in vain. They still have him. They still have him, but these. <laughs> my point is, neither of those guys are the person who's going to succeed Derek Carr. It, but I will say this one thing. Derek, I know you're not listening, but if you're listening, this is your time to prove it. They got you a whole bunch of weapons in this draft class, and I need you to just – I know you're, you're trying to block out all the negativity per – the interview with The Athletic, the exclusive interview where he kind of went off a little bit about how critics just don't give him any respect. Well, shut them up with your play. Make it undeniable that you can play in this league at a very high level. And I think he has the tools to do that. I'm just sick and tired of hearing that, oh, Derek Carr. What do you mean, oh, Derek Carr? He's perfectly fine. It just bothers me as a Raiders fan. I'm a Derek Carr fan, obviously, based off of my stance stance here today and it just bothers me it really really bothers me that he just doesn't get any respect for you know having a 70 percent completion percentage and threw over 4,000 yards last season you could say those pads are are those stats are padded because of of check down passes but the fact still stands and yet and half of that was because he had no weapon to throw deep bombs to to make it less inconsistent whatever that means he has those now he's going to prove to us this year that he can do this. If not, I mean, we'll, we'll put the Raiders on that less tank for Trevor. That's the only thing I'll be happy with. That's the only solution I will be happy with, and I've been saying that for the past two years. If we get Trevor Lawrence, sure, you can replace us, replace my starting quarterback. But other than that, I don't want it. What's but. the phrase? I think you and I are both in the same boat here. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's where both of us are now. Completely uh, agree. And me with, with Marcus May. Here we go. How many, this is episode four, right? Weekly, yes, episode weekly, four. Okay. A weekly episode, episode four. 
That means, and I only I remember doing one non-safety fan frustration. That means for almost a month I've been complaining about the Jets' safety situation. And that's ridiculous. And here's why it's ridiculous. Because the Jets have probably the best safety combo in the NFL. Boom. There, I said it. Marcus May, when he's healthy, Jamal Adams, common denominator, Pro Bowl, best safety in the league. Okay, there was drama with Jamal Adams. We don't want him. Now we want him. He wants to go. He doesn't. Virtual workouts. Who knows what's going on? But now it seems like the Jets are going to keep Jamal Adams. Good move. But now a report comes out that Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, is fielding offers for Marcus May. Adam Gase wanted Marcus May traded before he even got hired as the Jets head coach. The Jets won't get good value for Marcus, Marcus May. He's a better player than he is a trade asset because he was injured for a lot of 2018. So the, the whole injury-prone tab, that got put on him. That's why his trade value is minimal right now. However, he dominated last year. He started every game alongside Jamal Adams last season in 2019. That means that he's more productive as a player than a trade asset. And don't give me this Ashton Davis stuff, okay? The rookie third-round safety from Cal. I didn't even want him. And this is why. This is why I didn't want Ashton Davis, because I knew that when Davis was drafted, someone was going. I thought it was going to be Jamal Adams. Now it's Marcus May. Of course, I prefer Adams over May. But you don't need Ashton Davis to start alongside Jamal Adams because you have Marcus May. He's better than Davis right now. You don't want to mess up the strength of your team. And by the way, it's not a financial thing either. Marcus May is due like a million dollars. He's still on his rookie deal. You're not going to trade for him because you're going to get a minimal pick. This is a player that you spent a second rounder on, and he's good. You don't need – you don't have to mess with something if it's not broken. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Marcus May hasn't done anything wrong. All he's done is got injured rehab and bounce back in a big way and now the Jets are trying to tinker with something they don't have to right when I saw the the Marcus May report I was we didn't even talk yet about what the show was going to look like and I was like oh I know what Brad's fan frustration yeah, that's was. going in there that's I going was like let's show. just put that in right now but all right that's every week every week it's the same thing I want to do I want to be frustrated about something else that's my real fan frustration not the Marcus May thing my fan frustration is that I'm frustrated by the same thing every week. That's something that I think you as a Raiders fan take for granted. You haven't had any repeats, but it just keeps on building up. My first fan frustration about safeties is way less important, way less significant than my third. This is getting redundant. It's getting repetitive. The Jets have so many more issues that they need to be worrying about. First of all, pass rush. You don't need to worry about your safety. Maybe a cornerback would be helpful. But safety is the only position that I feel 1,000% comfortable in. I dare you to name a better safety combo than the Jets with May and Adams and now Ashton Davis, who, again, is too raw to start in the NFL. So go ahead. Trade Marcus May for a fifth rounder. And best of luck with a guy I didn't even want in Ashton Davis. All right, we're both going to need a few seconds to cool off, but that's, that's I need all. a brown paper bag. Is there a brown paper bag anywhere? Well, that's, that's all we have this week on this episode of the Go For Two podcast. You can find us on Twitter and on SoundCloud. 
go for the number two podcast. And if you'd like to email us, shoot us an email at the go for the, again, the number two pod at gmail.com. But only fan mail, only fan mail for Brad, just to be clear. Yeah. I don't want any fan mail. I just want criticism. We're here to get better. So that's, (laughs) that's all we have for you guys this week. So long.